Second Bananas is recorded on unceded Indigenous land belonging to the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Unceded means that this land was never surrendered, relinquished, or handed over in any way. We support the various strategies that Indigenous peoples use to protect their land and their communities, and we commit to working in solidarity with them. We acknowledge that as people living and working on these lands, we are accountable to those who have cared for this land since time immemorial. It is our intention to continue learning how to honor this responsibility. Who's getting married that year? Yeah, should get like big married. Like, uh, just, yes. just a huge, like one officiant can go all the. Or we, you can have two officiants. They can start at each started at the end of the line and work their way to the middle. And, totally. and then it's like a race. It's like a race. And, Whoever, whichever officiant does more couples wins. Right. Yeah. And then to consummate, just send the bowl around. Everyone throws their keys in yeah. and <laughs> just figure it out after that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I don't see what could possibly uh, go wrong. <laughs> That's how the Romans did it, I think. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of what could possibly go wrong. <laughs> good one. Got a good segue one. Here. That's a pretty good segue. <laughs> but I'm still going to leave the intro to Joe. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I see how it is. You set me up and then you knock me down. Okay. Well, welcome, everybody. Welcome to Second Bananas, uh, the podcast about history's greatest Garfunkels, the clout behind the clout that you didn't know about. Uh, I'm Joe. Hey, I'm Wes. And I'm Craig. And today, Craig is going to tell us all about... The festival that became known as Altamont. Altamont, not Altamonte, as I heard a number of people call it <laughs> in some of the videos. It doesn't I was, even I have was, an E on the end. I know, I think it was before internet, so I think these people that were talking about the event in the days like just right after, they're just like at the Altamonte Speedway, and they but didn't have time to get their like fact checkers in. It doesn't have an E on the end. How do you make that mistake? Come on, they, guys. They, they decided they, ah. they're just going to take creative license with the Speedway name. Creative license. You're a, news, you're a news radio guy in the 60s. Come on, you don't get creative lessons. Right. That's, 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 for, that's for the people who put on the Altamont free concert. It's like right. those, it's like those uh, peach, those canned peach spears. Del, oh, Del Monte. Del Monte. That's what they were, what they yeah. were thinking of. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, they're probably and, just a bunch of fruit heads. <laughs> incidentally, I think that event probably could have used some canned goods and mm. other and other nutritious <laughs> items right it was the fire amongst... fest of its day is what you're saying. <laughs> big time, <laughs> big time. <laughs> so true true so i definitely wanted to do this episode as kind of an obvious second banana to woodstock which is kind mm -hmm. of like the antithesis <laughs> of because right. it was of pretty altamont it was pretty close on the heels of woodstock it was four four months yeah. later yeah right. especially in the vibes department like, yeah. I think, like that was we'll get it we, we watched there's a there's a film about this called gimme shelter that yeah, uh, craig recommended and yeah, we, i watched it important. and i would say that that's the absolute number one thing that movie really conveys is just how like off the vibes were there like even when nothing bad was happening 
It just mm-hmm. felt everything about it felt like wrong and off and the opposite of Woodstock in mm-hmm. like the most like pot, like perfect way possible. Yeah. So just Woodstock, imagine that yeah. every time we talk about this, it's like Woodstock <laughs> is just like, you're having a good vibe. You're chilling. You probably just like took just the right amount of acid. Like you're grooving as waves of color. This place was just like, everybody was tense. Everybody was weird. Everybody was freaking out. And there was just a, a not good vibe that Oh, yeah. big time. Yeah. Which yeah, probably could have, no, probably definitely could have been induced a little bit by the Hells Angels. <laughs> oh, for sure. Well, there, there were a lot of different factors that went into this being a complete disaster for a lot of reasons. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I had uh, a lot of fun researching it and looking into, um, you know, kind of the counterculture vibe of the time and then... Yeah the the kind of history of rock and roll that kind of is woven into all of this as well and just like and you know with the with meredith hunter the like kind of primary victim of Uh the event the young black man that was murdered by the hell's angels like his whole story is so emblematic of like what i understand as a white north american male um to be like the you know kind of a an essential black american experience of you know of being of like what reason is there for him to not participate in all of this and then he finds the reason to not participate in all of this and ultimately ends up being the only one who doesn't get to go home right so and it it was just really really interesting and i found it completely fascinating but um, the big thing too like he wasn't the only person that died that day right he wasn't the the only only person that murdered yeah, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. there there were a couple Actually, of people mm, yeah, who, got I would say run, murdered. who got run over. Right. I guess um, that would be manslaughter. Oh, okay, yeah. And but, that was pretty brutal. Um yeah. and not like not in very I I don't know, it's it's cringe making for sure to yeah. think about the circumstances of other people who were also victims for yeah. sure. Um but for him, you know, the story I think is probably just the fact that it was a very belligerent and like violent act directed at him and it became controversial for what provoked it and the uh, yeah you know what kind of came after it well and it was also the one Uh the one that the that the the stones witnessed like it happened it happened right in front of right exactly exactly well we're gonna get into all of it um but one of the main not main but one of the good resources that i used was a podcast um in researching this and the podcast made a really interesting um, analogy that I wanted to kind of open up the the narrative with, if I may, and is basically so. This podcast is Pantheon Podcast, is rock and roll archaeology, and they did a four part or like a some however many part series on 1969 on music, uh, rock and roll, basically in 1969, mm. and um, one of the comparisons that they made was to a Kurosawa film, mm. uh, which I thought would resonate with you, oh, gents. Yeah. Uh, but Rashomon is about a samurai who gets murdered in the forest. And the film is made using the plot device of kind of disparate and conflicting accounts from various individuals about this event of what of what took place and that's basically how the film is created and so right. Altam- altamont very much occupies that kind of realm in 
mm. the the American imagination and in kind of media and everything that's been written and created and kind of analyzed about it since all has these very disparate and sometimes overlapping perspectives on this the exact same event but we're talking about an event that had over 300,000 people attend right yeah. so if you were outside of the first like 25 meters of the stage you had a different experience than if you were within that area mm -hmm. right um, yeah and and also just kind of bouncing in and out as you would i think during a festival during the course of the day, you know, you're not necessarily staying in the same spot, or maybe you are. And these types of things, how how kind of mobile you were throughout the day, would determine how exposed you were to the stuff that was going on by the stage or elsewhere, where other, you know, whatever. And it could very much determine what your what your vibe was or the kind of vibe you captured from the whole event. So I felt like that was a really interesting um, <clears throat> analogy that they drew out. Uh, that really yeah. resonated with me from yeah. from the research that I had done because there are so many accounts of this and there are so many different parties that have kind of a stake or are interested in it being uh, filtered a certain way right. to kind of maybe take the blame off of them a little bit or For maybe sure. to put the blame a little bit more on another party. Um, yeah. But we're basically talking about the Hells Angels um, the, the festival organizers themselves, um, who included management from the Rolling Stones, management from the Grateful Dead, management from Jefferson Airplane, and then obviously a bunch of like throngs and throngs of audience members, people from around the, the Bay Area and the West Coast in general, but across North America came well, to this concert. This, right? this was like 1969 too, right? So it's like yep. this burgeoning media apparatus that is like already has that sort of like the hippies ah, you know mm -hmm. like, big time like and like that the... was like a huge thing for the media was getting on that as like sort of like the like look at the hippies now like people are getting killed at their concerts and stuff right well and the manson family had just been uh the oh yeah i think the verdict had just come in in the manson family trial the week before or that same week mm. um you know like public officials had been assassinated um within the last like several weeks of this occasion like things were kind of popping off in american culture just generally yeah so right. it was um you know it was a time it, it was kind of an interesting like kinetic um electric yeah. time mm -hmm. generally um and so a lot of people had a lot of expectations and uh, yeah it was just a really interesting time in general um and also as a 40 year old in 2021 i didn't really realize until a f the last few years i guess it didn't really sink in for me that i was actually born 11 years after this happened if you think about it, just over a decade after this happened after this right. time after this time period which when i was old enough to understand what was going on what, what i was seeing the concept of whatever the hippies the counterculture the late 60s or just the 60s in general none of that stuff ever really um resonated with me as something that was that near to my time to the time that i li lived in right it was like this relic mm. um yeah but it really wasn't like there was one decade between me <laughs> being born and, and all this shit happening well yeah it was more time between mm -hmm. like you, you being born and then you having sort of a consciousness of this exactly but, 
that's the bigger gap for sure yeah but it also speaks to like it like sort of like the grip this has on the imagination the public imagination right absolutely and like the way it becomes this sort of like i think too like people are always like like there's that kind of refrain that's like oh it's so fucked like i always think of like especially people our age that are like oh like i always think of 1960 like five or whatever it's like 40 years ago and it's actually like 60 years ago now or whatever right it's like yeah obviously that's not for everyone but i think like for the generation, our generation who sort of experienced that first, like the real turn back towards that nostalgia after like the seventies and eighties, sort of like the seventies moved away from it in a certain sense. And then the eighties even more moved away from it. Like sort of yeah. like the zeitgeist, even among the counterculture in, in the seventies and eighties, like, and the nineties was sort of that first generation where it came back as like a nostalgia uh, trip kind of thing in a certain sense and in more in popular culture than in counterculture but like it feels like it really did get and it was probably part of it was like a lot of those guys got to the age where they needed more money and they were like okay i guess we're gonna do a reunion tour or they died and then their record catalogs were suddenly like able to be reissued right i think that that was part of it too right well i mean i think that's interesting because i don't i think money might have been a big reason like why the stones wanted to do this tour i know i know that they're like this was pretty this was still like a little early in their career they were like they were like they're fire like everyone wanted to see the stones they were like the it group but i think their management was like they were still like not making like the money they should for like the shows they were performing at the absolutely yeah they they weren't making a lot of money from their shows and tours and i don't think so they were looking for a way to kind of cash in on their success and fame Mm -hmm. so the the idea to do this documentary that is like okay well we'll like we'll do this sweet documentary for our american tour capped off with this amazing you know half like half a million people concert and And it'll be awesome we'll make a bunch of money They'd already and, done one yeah. by this point, right? Like, wasn't... Um, oh, maybe. I'm not sure. I think there was already another documentary about them made by, like, um, another semi-on-the-come-up, like, filmmaker from that period. It might have mm. been after, because they've had, now they've had, like, four or five, right? Like, um, mm. Scorsese did one. Um, oh, really? I think he did. I don't, I don't think know. I've seen any of them, yeah. They're, they've had a few now, and I feel like this is actually the second one that they did. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna have to check that out, and that might be yeah. a version, but yeah. But it's interesting as, like, managers screwing, like, their bands out of money is maybe, like, what led to this disastrous concert event. Yeah, well, in part, it, it was definitely a factor, or, like, those dynamics were definitely a factor. And part of the story of the 60s and like the counterculture and the interweaving of the music with that culture is the story of rock and roll coming of age mm-hmm. and, be- and becoming commercially viable, um, graduating from mm-hmm. the counterculture and like, yeah. you know, only kind of the pinnacle acts of the previous decades were like commercially viable and became whatever. Whereas now it was like a thing that was more embraced by mainstream society once the counterculture like skin had been shed so to speak um then now it could be embraced you know once you get all the hippie bullshit aesthetics out of the way now we can make some real money selling right. selling this shit to everyone right? right because there's there's less stigma or whatever it's more of an irresistible um and compelling like offering in mm-hmm. terms of like mainstream music and that's definitely i think tied into the whole conflict here is that they're trying to 
you know, they're definitely trying mm-hmm. to like appeal to a certain, like get in with this counterculture, hate Ashbury kind of scene that they're not really tapped into at all. And uh, Jerry Garcia and like the San Francisco local acts like airplane and the grateful dead are the rolling stones. You know, they kind of scratch each other's backs in that regard for, um, for this particular concert or for, for this festival and it obviously ends up blowing up because nobody really ended up paying enough attention to it yeah. <laughs> to make it happen properly but uh simply for the devil jean-luc godard and that was like a real experimental film um like it oh, had, i've heard like, of that one okay yeah it is very like it's like it's like it's like an intercut with like documentary some like stage scenes and then like some political readings it's like references the black panthers the jfk assassination uh-huh. like and I think it it was sort of like the Stones' first chance to be like, whoa, like we can get a lot of heat off this. And that was, again, like a year before this. So it makes sense that they then started looking for another filmmaker to like document this tour. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sorry. Anyway. Yeah, no, no. Um, actually, so we might as well start with the Rolling Stones then. <laughs> so obviously at that stage in the late 60s, they're the second biggest band in the world. Um, Mm. they had positioned themselves or their management had convinced them to position themselves as kind of the anti Beatles as like wearing the black hat, the not clean cut, like, uh, working class boys from around the the block or whatever. Um, ironically, they were all like middle-class, you know, had all, uh, kind of toted their, their American blues and, um, Mm and rock like early rock records from actual black American artists who created yeah. the genres. Uh, they to- this they entire to- genre is just like all of like, yeah. everything, even like down to a lot of the lyrics are just like, again, like stolen or riffs. And this is kind of what we talked about in the, the Paul Simon episode too. Like For when, sure. when it's a folk music thing, it's like, that's normal within, within the sort of like folk tradition, but because it's, it's like an, a, a much more communal tradition and it's not about like, making money per se like that was sort of the objection anyway yeah. right yeah so i'm gonna say so, anyway like eight or nine times during this so everybody just start <laughs> let's take a count and um, uh yeah everybody drink <laughs> yeah, everybody drink when i say anyway but they they ended up meeting or mick and and keith um ended up meeting at school mick would always have his like imported records blues um blues and like folk and early rock records from america which were probably quite expensive and he'd always have a few of them under his arm and it just was kind of his brand or whatever and so he hooked up with keith and with That's a couple a, like, of other musicians and it like, was yeah, kind of their thing keith richards like like just like sitting in a in a fucking like like algebra class or whatever like the back of a lecture hall like just a couple of records tucked under his arm like Every time a girl walks by, like snorting I'm some the records guy. Eraser. <laughs> snorting <laughs> flips eraser the record over, dust. Like, ribs up the eraser, just oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so they yeah, they obviously were huge, like bigger than most bands anywhere at this stage. Mm-hmm. But they were but they were also, you know, they hadn't come back to America for a few years. They had some uh, some drug and like uh, issues with the authorities to do with drugs and stuff that made it so they couldn't come back to the U S on tour. Uh, they finally got through that and were able to come back. They had just released an album, let it bleed that they were going to do a big American tour on the back of, 
um, a tour which ended up being one of the more fabled like epic rock tours of the time and one of the first kind of tours of that like magnitude and profile in history they kind of established the like epic rock tour Mm. um at at this time yeah it was it was definitely kind of a a threshold that was crossed but they were definitely looking for ways of being more viable and they wanted you know they weren't involved with woodstock at all they didn't have anything to do with any of that and they wanted a little bit of that cachet they wanted a little bit of that sweet um you know that sweet (laughs) counterculture counterculture Um, money cred well they wanted to be they wanted to be on the billboard it's like the man can't bust our music cbs records exactly like that and and so um and so they were kind of primed i would say for for a suggestion along the lines of of something like altamont um that the hell's angels um just to profile them really briefly um originated as a motorcycle they are going to be important to the story oh for sure yeah um originated as a motorcycle club for war vets in the 40s and 50s in the post-war period uh they drew individuals that had a familiarity with machinery and and um like mechanic work or who are mechanically inclined uh, strict hierarchy and and violence so these are kind of the three <laughs> three prongs of of notable like hell's angels pride i would guess <laughs> <laughs> And the club evolved to include criminal and legitimate business interests and a reputation for brutality, misogyny, racism, and disdain for the establishment. Um, putting them in close, you know, in close kind of uh, association in in one sense with a lot of the counterculture that was kind of taking place at the moment, albeit not directly. You know, it was a very yeah. peripheral. It was kind of like a reputational thing where I feel like you know the hell's angels are kind of like yeah well the the stupid hippies aren't worth like the sandals that they wear on their feet but at least they're like against the man so that's cool with me but they and, spend money on drugs like it's going out of style yeah and they and they hung out with like loose females that <laughs> didn't care too much about <laughs> stuff or whatever like from from the hell's angels perspective if you're not a hell's angel then you you get zero benefit of the doubt yeah. anyways. So right. a, normie, a normie and a hippie <laughs> and whoever else, like yeah, it right. doesn't really matter. But if you happen to have drugs or like listen to music, that's okay. Or like hang out with cool chicks, then, you know, the Hells Angels are more likely to be like, yeah, okay, whatever. We'll put yeah. up with you. Cause right. that was the impression that I got was that they were all, they were connected to the counterculture, like largely through like the, the, yeah, exactly what you were saying was like, they they were associated with it not because necessarily they were part of it but because they were like running in a lot of the same spaces into like the respectable press of the day like there was little difference to be sort of like seen between them in order to the, you know, yeah. to perform the media uh, scapegoating or whatever it was sort of like well, they're For the sure. same like they're not exactly the same obviously but they're basically the same the enemy they're of your enemy is your friend yeah and like they're the reason America's lost its way. Right, exactly. So a foundational idea of being a hell's angel is that of being a one percenter, being one of the few people and the you know, the one percenter meme uh, Mm -hmm. exists today in a lot of like white supremacist and like, um, but a a different one percent than libertarian 2008. 
Right, right. Yeah. Um, a lot of like libertarian, like white supremacist, mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. Uh, groups are. Now it's all, the three percent. Sure. Yeah. Oh no, it's, it's increased. Yeah. It's, it's gotten worse, guys. It's the same idea of yeah. being like the one of the few people, or amongst the the very limited population of people who are willing to use extreme force in order mm-hmm. to get their way in in their interactions in society yeah like violence is always on the table as an option to solve a problem even sure. when it's not a good idea very much a cultural staple of the yeah. hell's angels and they'll fight each other they'll fight other bikers they'll fight anyone frankly but they'll there fight is the also- band members they're supposed to yeah. be protecting <laughs> there's also there's also a strict code and hierarchy um and they you know they they lean on that heavily and it's it's understood amongst people within the club as like an unspoken rule and everybody kind of knows them and they also expect other people who are outside of the club to abide by their rules even though they won't know them they'll just enforce their arbitrary rules that are not even like yeah should have known whatever. better yeah we're, yeah we're hell's angels you should have known yeah so, so that's an actually an interesting point um this Easy Rider came out July 14th of the same year. Right. And Altamont mm-hmm. was in December. So it would have been like in the zeitgeist. Damn. They were just um, looking to go out for a rip and listen like, to some fucking yeah, 70s tunes. It's really interesting thinking 60s. about that in the context of like, like a lot of, there must have sort of been like a certain, like even a sense of sort of like, like, like sort of romantic, like the, the hippies romanticizing the Hells Angels. Like maybe it had worn off by that point, but like I feel like, that's that's a really interesting context thing of like that film mm-hmm. had already just come out and the biker kind of became True. this like uh, like this sort of new countercultural icon with like yeah the guy, <laughs> Dennis Hopper and the other uh-huh. guy oh, who's name uh, Steve McQueen Steve McQueen yeah. is it no. Steve McQueen? Let's go with that. no is it it's not McQueen? Steve McQueen not Steve McQueen no, no. it's anyway. um yeah. I can't remember who's that right guy. Now. Yeah, he he's a famous Hollywood. Peter um, Fonda. Peter, Peter Fonda. Fonda. Thank you. Yeah, and it's funny. I do feel like Easy Rider is the Venn diagram that overlaps the hippies and the Hell's Angels. Yeah. It kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's kind of the thing is where they and I mean it, it goes so far like they overlap to a certain extent until you start getting into like more progressive and like more egalitarian perspectives on the world and how it can work in mm-hmm. which case the hell's angels would abandon it and they'd be like no yeah. it's a strict hierarchy might means right and i'm gonna fuck you up well, <laughs> so, angels, like, i'm right it's, I'm it's interesting right. because <laughs> I, considering the angels military history like i don't know what the makeup was at the time but i wonder if they sort of like their membership came down for or against vietnam as well like they they opposed they opposed anti-war protests and that's that's another right. place where yeah. they, had, they were heavily um divided right from the counterculture mm. at large and, and um, interesting yeah, that also speaks to like the sort of collapsing of the sixties into this one kind of mush of all these things. Like, and certainly there was like a, a feel, certain feelings of sort of like, of like, a, of a freedom, right? Like a freedom to be more, you know, like political or you know, like hippie or like biker or an outlaw or whatever, and 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 that. But it's also like, yeah, like even like you look at the Stones and they weren't really known as like they're not like they're not again like they weren't at woodstock they're not like when you say like the hippie culture it's not the rolling stones like they no, were around at not the even same close. time they were much more they had sort of a different crowd and it feels like altamont also maybe attract like again like i guess the grateful dead we're going to perform there and it's it's interesting that it's san francisco but like 
and not that again, like you watch that documentary and you see that lady going around collecting money for the Panthers defense fund, which you don't even know if that's real. It's like a white lady collecting money for the Panthers defense fund. Like, right. Like, but like it it needs to go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> she knows where. Yeah, she knows where that money's supposed to go. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like all that stuff was mixing, and it it connected, but it wasn't like one thing, right? It was like oh no, all these little different currents that kind of become as we again, like you said, Craig, mm-hmm. like, as we look at it further and further in the past, it, it's sort of like we build another a larger super narrative for sure instead of like what they were looking at at the time well then yeah the nuance the nuance collapses into the tropes almost right um Mm -hmm. which is totally the case with altamont absolutely especially something as overanalyzed and overreported and over podcasted about (laughs) (laughs) in any case um but yeah, so the Hells Angels are, they, they adhere to this strict code of conduct, centers their own personal freedom at the expense of whoever's in their freedom's way, basically. Yeah. And uh, their, their um, obligation, their loyalty is to one another, is to the group, is to the club. Uh, they're also often from traumatic upbringings, including whatever experiences prison and the military brought their way, which was almost uh, universally a shared experience for them. Um, and they tend to interact, interact with the world, uh, outside of the club from a pugilistic posture, according to that experience, having been through the strict hierarchy of the military, the strict hierarchy of prison and, you know, living their life in this club, it brought the, that comfort of that familiar structure, um, but allowed them to kind of be chaotic fucking shitheads to the rest of the world and 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 fall back into their club and be like, we have strength in numbers. Right. Yeah. And, it, and like that, that distrust of authority too, that they probably, again, going from like the military to the prison or whatever, like coming out of the military sort of at the end of the fifties, like Korea, maybe world war two, maybe you served in one of those. Um, and you're like, you're not getting that welcome. And it's like, you know, like you are starting to see that shift in attitude, both in like from an average person and also from like what veterans sort of are seen as. And like, right. this was sort of the beginning of that period of like, real disillusionment with like the military and what America's role was in the world. And like, um, not that they weren't already sort of like doing that shit by this, by the late sixties, they totally were, but it was when it really started to become visible. And I think like, that's interesting to think of the health angels too. It's sort of like a way of, like you said, like keeping that structure while also sort of rejecting the parts of it that have now, you know, hurt you or, or proven to you to be less than, useful whether that's attachment to government or like exactly like patriotism in a certain way yeah yeah so the the establishment doesn't agree with their criminal lifestyles and their you know abusive behavior and misogyny um but the establishment does agree with their white supremacy and with their adherence to like a strict hierarchy whereby you know they would keep their distance from the from the police and there was like a an arm's length that the police knew to keep from the hell's angels and vice versa, because they, you know, there's like kind of this tacit understanding that they're both kind of on the same side in a roundabout way. But as long as something egregious didn't happen, 
it's like these white cops don't want to come chase after these white bikers like we've got yeah. hip, we've got hippies we got black liberationists we got like all the, the all these anti, these anti-war <laughs> exactly we got we have we have enough common enemies like let's not let's not bicker let's not squabble amongst ourselves there's even just a bit of that like that like cold war thing of like they're like the, oh, the hell's time. angels are at a, at able to like sort of actually do damage to the cops in a way that like a lot of those other movements just especially like in a way that like certain like they wouldn't be they wouldn't be seen as quite as like you know like a, a nice target for the for police retaliation so no, it's like not an easy target at all too, yeah. yeah for sure so in the angels in the 60s had embodied a juxtaposition of the countercultural uh, mythology of a free riding road warrior or noble savage the type of thing we're talking about with um um, yeah, just with kind of that, the Dennis Hopper, Peter Fonda vibe of, mm-hmm. you know, just the bad want the free, guy from raising Arizona, just want the free road, man, <laughs> right. like smoke a joint in the morning and just like change your whole perspective on life or whatever. Um, that whole mythological, ass, grass, uh, ass, gas, or grass, nobody rides for free. <laughs> I'm juxtaposing that with, and this is very much how a lot of the counterculture, but not all of it would have seen the hell's angels at the time. And then the reality of there being a tight, tightly knit reactionary white working class criminal bike gang that was only just beginning to realize the infamy that its members actions were, were, were earning the club and its reputation. Um, because they were starting to be, you know, as they had numbers and they realized that they were pretty badass and they could get away with a lot of shit, they started to get away with a lot of shit. And there were like rape and assault cases that were coming up for Hells Angels members. There were obviously the petty crime and the drugs and the theft and stuff like that um, were starting to kind of pile up. So they, yeah. they were earning a reputation at this time for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways... Having released the new album, the Rolling Stones had an excuse to come back to tour in the U.S. And they relished an opportunity to end the tour with a free concert because they're kind of getting digged in the media a little bit for the exorbitant price of their tickets on the on the tour. Um, but again, this is kind of the this is the beginning of a new format for like rock bands and like arena tours. Uh, which would yeah. come re- really come into their stride in the seventies, the big, um, you know, after, after Woodstock with like Sly and the family stone through the seventies, that band ha- toured relentlessly and completely killed it and absolutely like revamped the whole way that bands toured and hmm. the Rolling Stones were very much a part of that. They were, they were what the Beatles were in the studio in in a live format right yeah. they, they mm. very much reimagined what a rock and roll band can do in a live performance and what they can charge for it and how many people you can get in there and et cetera et cetera et cetera well and even in like mick jagger's sort of like when you watch that movie half the first like good 20 minutes of the movie are just like footage from their they're like the, they're, they start with the first show in new york and then they show them at a couple other key spots and like you can really see him like the beginnings of that sort of like front man, like that you would see more later in those seventies bands, like with, especially like, I just think of like Led Zeppelin and Robert Plant, like that very charismatic, like embodying sexual energy. Um, and it's sort of like Mason here, but it's very obvious. Like he's got those crazy scarves. He's like flipping around. He's got like, he'll wear that hat or like whatever. He just has a very specific, like, 
um, vibe. And he sort of, and it's sort of like, it's interesting because like, they aren't like necessarily jumping around on stage. They don't have these huge stacks of amps yet, but you're right. It's that like, you look out on the crowd and it's just like this enormous crowd of people like screaming and singing along. And like, yeah, I think of like, you watch them too. And they, they jump in a helicopter all the time. And like, when I think of the seventies, I think of like big stacks of Marshall amps and then Led Zeppelin posing on their private jet. Like those right. are the two images I think of. And this is sort of like, before that all calcified and became the image. But this is like you said, like you really see those beginnings here in like that transition from this sort of like they all the shaggy hair. It's not quite like long down to their, their like shoulder blades or anything yet, but it's sort of like that transition with, with the stones compared to like you said, like the Beatles who were still, even at this point, a little, like they'd kind of gone past just the totally squeaky clean but it was much more like the sixties kind of like shag versus like long luscious locks. Um, Mm -hmm. it was, it was less about like, there was sort of that quaintness to it instead of that really epic, like, uh, almost like sleazy grandeur of the seventies, but you kind of see it. So that's cool. For sure. So in the Bay area, there have been various free outdoor concerts in recent years, um, and staples, local, local staples, like, the Grateful Dead and Jefferson mm-hmm. Airplane were involved with many of these and they had all gone off really well and they'd all been, you know, I guess, uh, milestones in the journey that the counterculture took throughout the decade in kind of its evolution and it's kind of boosting itself nationally and internationally. And one of the, you know, one of the pinnacles of which was uh, Woodstock right uh, which both of those bands played at um and so they were they were really keen i think particularly the dead after having not really had the best set at woodstock and then i feel like jefferson airplane played like a morning set or something and so they're like we can get a better slot or whatever <laughs> yeah. but but they're like okay well like we can do something really cool in, locally like in the bay area here and maybe we can get pardon me the stones involved give them a little taste of what hey dashbury like that whole vibe what what we what we're doing here and you know and say thank you to all of our local fans who've been coming to all these shows and are like super committed to to these local bands say thank you to them by bringing these international superstars in for a free concert Right. So everyone's got kind of, um, everyone's got something mm-hmm. to, to get. Seems like a good idea, from it. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and, well, and this is San Francisco at this point, it's just, right. like, that's not the city you expect to have like a really fucked concert at. Oh, expect for sure. Vibes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So they wanted <clears throat> to kind of try and convey further to the stones, um, you know, this vibe of the American counterculture as this trend, uh, this transcendent force, meshing music, human connection, love, drugs, and the freewheeling egalitarian lifestyle that according to the counterculture would shatter the status quo, right? And this was the idea, whether or not this is what anybody actually thought, you know, certainly the management and the people who were in it for the money probably didn't really care about the counterculture. That was a demographic to tap into, right? Yeah. And, that, and that makes sense. And that's yeah. the evolution of rock and music generally as like a commercial force. But, um, but the idea was something that, you know, key people in these organizations and management and then like the key band members were, were definitely on board with. Uh, well, so it, the seed was planted 
that this that this thing needed to happen and it would happen at the tail end of of the stones um american tour and again mm-hmm. in gimme shelter like the nasals are in the room with like a bunch of those guys like the managers or whatever like these people the sort of money people or like management teams or whatever that were sort of like and the guy is literally like like one of the guys i don't know who he is exactly and you have to check he's like this like older dude white hair like big glasses like he's like well you know, the stones want to do it for free. And like the guy at the Altima race court wants the publicity. So I'll take the money. Like he's like yeah. making oh, that yeah. joke. And I it's like, yeah, they make it very, that's the lawyer. lawyer. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that dude probably made a lot of money off this in the end. Oh, big time. He was but not, their lawyer. But not yeah. without a few hassles. That's for sure. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think he probably earned quite a bit of that money with the, with the Altima <laughs> debacle. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this idea is, is gathering steam and yeah, there's, you know, the lawyers involved management for, for a few of the bands is involved. The Rolling Stones are on board and they're, they're proposing that it should be at Golden Gate Park there. And it was going to be a part of like a bigger festival with some other performances and some other local, like community centered, um, like arts, um, arts groups and stuff like that. Um, but as soon as I feel like before the stones tour kicks off at um at a news conference mick announces that it's going to be a free concert in san francisco <laughs> Fucking burn dog and um and suddenly golden gate park was off the table because the authorities were like fuck no <laughs> we are not having a qu- yeah. we're not having a quarter million people concert in golden gate park like we can handle 10 20 30 maybe forty thousand but we're not doing we're, we're just not doing it and uh-huh. so um and yet they were stuck doing it somewhere because like that was the that was the other conversation that was going on it's like well it's got to go somewhere because people are already like have already heard about this and they're coming yeah, so like that was the thing. yeah totally so they were kind of committed and the other side of it too was that as you said the measles uh, were now on board <sighs> for the film to be made and the film was actually going to be more of like a promotional a little bit more milk toast like look the rolling stones come to america and then the pinnacle of the whole thing or like whatever was going to be this free concert which Mm -hmm. was supposed to be you know it was supposed to preempt the release of the woodstock film it was supposed to one up really kind of the main artists that this one massive headliner and like a few local bands and i mean the the lineup at altamont was stacked right but mm-hmm. it was not woodstock which was stacked times three yeah. days yeah. right and multiple and, stages and all that stuff it, it, like, exactly exactly and bathrooms and probably some places to get food <laughs> i know and the, like and the hell's angels didn't have absolute authority to beat the shit out of whoever. Like, there right. were some consequences to beating the shit out of hippies at woodstock i was like for sure <laughs> um but yeah they, they had already kind of from the rolling stones perspective um it seems like they were kind of committed to this thing because they needed to finish the film so that they could recoup their the money that they wouldn't be getting from throwing this free well, festival, it's a big right? Money yeah. shot too, right, right, right. It's like this: you got to end on a high note, and it's like if you started in New York, you have to end on the West Coast. Like that's like it's that's a tradition at this point, even in '69. Mm-hmm. So well, it, it was totally a, a big ego trip as well, right? Like yeah. for Mick and Keith, who are already rock yeah. gods. Well, I wonder how much of Keith, like just watching that documentary, I feel like Keith was like. 
yeah, he probably had some dishes and some input that he was like, could like bend Mick Jagger's ear. But for the most part, I feel like the other band members were on for like, and this was like the Mick Jagger show kind of the, thing. The, but yeah, I want to, the movie is like um, really interesting. And, and I think like the other interesting thing I found is like, um, so yeah, they got the Maisels who had made Great Gardens and I think Salesman had come out at this point. So they kind of, weirdly they kind of knew what they were getting into in a way like it's like or like maybe they didn't watch those films and they were just like yeah yeah let's get another guy like Godard, right like get someone who's doing the cool shit doing those mm-hmm. cool movies that are popular with the hippies right like that's what we want mm-hmm. um but like right from the beginning you can tell the amazons are like looking for angles and like the way they shoot is especially for this was and for Altamont, they had like 12 camera people um, mm. shooting at the concert all day. And they cut that all together. Oh, yeah. One of whom was George Lucas. Really? Except he shot oh, he wow. shot three minutes of film and his camera jammed and none of his footage made it into the movie. Mm. <laughs> Amateur. <laughs> what? George <Coward>. Lucas? Only <laughs> shooting three minutes of film that gets edited <laughs> out of the movie? <laughs> well, he didn't Amazing. have a choice. His camera jammed and he just was done. Right, um, right. Yeah. Unlucky. But I think like <laughs> that's how they start the movie is it's them making the movie and the Maisels do this. Like, so they kind of play in right away that this is going to be a, like, like there's a, there's, there's, a, there's a meta aspect here. And the first person watching it is not, is not Mick Jagger. It's not Keith Richards. It's so dumb. Yeah. I thought it's, Charlie, uh, Watt, Charlie, Charlie Watt. Watt. Charlie he's he, the one they actually yeah. look at the most in the film. And I, it's interesting to think about that choice because like, yeah, the other two guys, yeah. like the bassist and the their rhythm guitarist, just aren't really in the film at all. No. Except in, and but his reactions are really what the Maisels kind of key off to show, like mm-hmm. when the Rolling Stones are watching their footage and when they're looking back on it and sort of like reflecting on it. And like Mick Jagger gets his moments too, and he's clearly mm-hmm. like shook up by watching this footage, right? But it's like. Yeah, I yeah. found it interesting too that Charlie had the most, I think, commentary as they were kind of watching it back. Uh, yeah, especially like I think at the beginning when they kind of like they, it doesn't show the footage, but he they're kind of just talking about what the events had happened, and it's just like he's kind of like, yeah, I think I saw that happen. Like it was crazy how the the crowd just like parted, and then I get he's referring to like the Hell's Angels like stabbing this guy to death, and it's like Meredith. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. I just I just kind of witness this and i didn't really know what was happening at the time but i guess now that we know that that's what happened that i saw that yeah so um yeah so i got a bit of more detail on yeah we jumped all, ahead a little bit all of that no no <laughs> sorry um yeah. so one of the editors um that the Maisels worked with the charlotte's room yeah exactly it was her idea to bring all of that mass of footage together um and tie it in mm. with actually showing the stones the footage and yeah. like filming their reaction but it was meant to be like direct like direct cinema right so that it was more like hands off just let the reactions happen don't yeah, really sta- don't really stage anything mm-hmm. but that was obviously a very staged component but it was necessary to kind of well from her perspective and it, it ended up paying off i think yeah this is something really to weave that in mm-hmm yeah with the mazels too is like like they were that was their philosophy was like let the things emerge like don't don't write scripts don't don't plan don't edit like shoot and then 
and then build it in the editing room. But at the same time, like I said, like one of their other most famous films, like they hired a different kind of salesman to become this sort of Bible salesman. And I think they had like, again, they have reasons for that, which is like, they're trying to get it sort of like these feelings. And in that movie, they're trying to get it sort of like the sort of crumbling of this, this way of life. And they wanted to get someone whose reactions would be a bit fresher and would get, whereas like in here too, it's like the same thing, right? Like, it's like, Oh, don't let it emerge as it happens. But then once they're in the editing room, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Bring the stones in, get their reaction, like film it, film this, film the editing machine, film us setting it up too. So people can get what's going on. Like, it's like yeah. very, and it's not that again, like documentary is meant to be constructed that way, but mm-hmm. uh, it is interesting that even like people who are sort of like these, like, oh, so we're cinema verite, we're capturing the real moments still like aren't afraid to sort of set things up and like poke the bear maybe a little. Yeah, totally. Well, and, and Charlotte Zwerin went on to pioneer one of the first like actual reality TV shows yeah. in the Survivors. Survivor, Survivor at the disco. <laughs> what show? What show are we talking about? Um, I forget. I forget what it's called, but it was. It, it's um. She created it in the seventies. It's like mm. families or something. Like the dating that. game. No, that would have been like a where. Yeah, this is. Joe can look it up. I'm gonna look it up. So, um, so yeah, this idea that there's gonna be a local concert. It's gonna be free. It's not going to be a Golden Gate Park because that's been kiboshed by the authorities. But the idea, the initial idea, which followed on from all of the previous successful free concerts, several of which were in Golden Gate Park, um, of having the Hells Angels guard the generators and the band's equipment um, remained somehow tied to the idea. Mm-hmm. And so they, uh, they shifted... They shifted tack a bit. They found a second location at Sears Point Raceway. Um, and the owner of the raceway offered the site up for free when approached um, to, to kind of like throw this free concert. They're like, yeah, well, you know, we'll, we'll make sure we get covered for any kind of damage or anything like that. And, uh, and like recoup our costs or whatever. But other than that, we won't charge anything for this. So initially that was something that the, the organizers wanted to hop on. Um, then shortly after, or as kind of the, the date of the festival approached, they threw down a little bit of a, a deal breaker in that they wanted to have exclusive rights to whatever was filmed at the free concert, which being the entire point of the whole free concert was the last thing that the stones in particular were going to be willing to give up. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and and they said, but you can buy us out of those exclusive rights. If you just give us a hundred thousand dollars right now (laughs) and and then put down a hundred thousand dollars deposit for any damages. And so they're like, no, fuck that. That's a whack deal and walked away from it. But it did turn out that the, parent company of the company that owned that uh the sears point raceway uh was the owner also owned another venue that the stones had backed out of like a, a follow-up performance deal uh, a couple of years earlier with and so they were trying to get their money back from the stones kind of flaking on them on a couple of performance <laughs> deal that they had set up. So there was obviously like, you know, some backroom deals going sour and stuff like that. And people trying to save face and shit like that, that threw everything into even further disarray 
I mean, it was already kind of scrambling to be organized properly at this stage. And then within, I think, two days, if not sooner, like like literally by the time they found Altamont Raceway, I think it was within 24 hours that it was actually confirmed and they were able to proceed in setting up. Um, but that was because there was a lot of farting around and like business uh, schmuckery that was just unfolding that um, right. that you know, couldn't really, they didn't really have any other option, but to work around it. Um, so it was getting pretty convoluted, pretty complicated. Somehow the hell's angels were still on board. The Rolling Stones are definitely still on board. And all of the, all of the acts that had agreed to, to play the concert were still in the fold as well. So, um, uh, yeah, that the second, the second location was, had been announced four days in advance of the concert. And now just over 20 hours before the concert, they were finally scouting out and pinning down the <laughs> Altamont, the Altamont Raceway location. Um, That's definitely the, what you want. Yeah. Is like it's really great to go into a massive one of your biggest shows ever, uh, <laughs> not having checked yeah. out the venue or uh, or spent any time learning about it or anything. Just get right there yeah. and just do it. It'll feel real natural. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sorry, sorry. In one of the videos I remember watching is they they kept referring like Keith or sorry, uh Mick Jagger was quoted multiple times as saying like the logistics aren't an issue. <laughs> <laughs> Just get it done. Yeah, exactly. I didn't want to hear about it. Well, yeah. and that's part of the thing, right? Is as so as all this stuff is unfolding, like the stones are on their tour. They're basically yeah. inc incontactable. And maybe some management or like some administrative people in like their New York or LA office or something might be contactable, but they're like, I don't know. I can't make a decision. No, we're not, we're not, not having the free concert. That's still yeah. happening. As far as anyone who cares in this organization is concerned, that's still happening. Just make it happen. Don't call me again. Click. Mm -hmm. And so then <laughs> right. anyone who is involved with the dead management or whatever with the festival itself was kind of like okay well i guess we're just gonna carry on <laughs> we don't have a place it's 24 hours to the festival and I'm so actually, they just kind of yeah. forge ahead right so it developed this inertia this like momentum that yeah. regard regardless of ha not having any of the basics yeah. <laughs> pinned down it just needed to trundle <laughs> on right now that i think about it, it's actually a miracle more people didn't die <laughs> yeah like it, and it they really had, really is and it evened out because they had four deaths and four births right. so technically they're <laughs> It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wash right? like, all right <laughs> good, good job stones uh, well, like uh and i don't know yeah. i don't know if the births and deaths like i don't know if the births actually did happen they yeah. were reported right that's the thing is the whole you know the whole thing that um with the kurosawa film right with the uh rashomon there's just it, competing like stories and people have yeah. different everyone's got everyone's got their own truth and the other thing too is to like speak to that it was like reported on right away right because it was already a big news item and that was like the line they had they played multiple i don't know if this was actually in the documentary or because i also watched a bunch of like short little videos about it on youtube Same. they were mostly footage stolen from this documentary of yeah, course they were but like they, there was like a repeated refrain from like news announcers and stuff that was like four births and four deaths. Like they kept, because it's like a nice repeatable right. statistic, right? That like yeah. feels very cutesy and down home. So it's, yeah, it's human be interesting too. to see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Be interesting to see if there were actually four births or if there were any births at all. Because yeah. I think there were like births at Woodstock, but again, you're talking a three day festival. There were so, births at Woodstock yeah. that were confirmed. And a couple of the sources that I, 
I had read through for um, in preparation for this did not confirm the births. Right, they were like yeah. it was it was reported, but that was just a thing. Like mm-hmm. a lot that was reported right after was what could you know no no more amazing thing has ever happened than yeah woodstock until ultimont yeah. right <laughs> like that's why i remember coast. that since their best woodstock had three yeah. we have four births we're gonna, we're gonna have four births <laughs> i thought that was right. interesting the, the early reporting was like oh yeah this is just a great festival it's real fun the stones are there <laughs> totally totally yeah. <laughs> yeah so um and speaking of woodstock again one of the um organizers of Woodstock, Michael Lang was in the helicopter flying over the Altamont Raceway location with the Dead's manager um, and confirmed, yeah, you know, like it's kind of insane, but we could totally do the festival here if we had to. Mm-hmm. And, and so then he's like, well, we do. So we're going to do it. <laughs> I guess we got it. So... <laughs> and so, oh, God. <laughs> in, in, in just over 20 hours, um, the Stones, Michael Lang, who's the who helped with the setup um, at Altamont as well, and Chipmunk, who was a lighting designer for the Stones, but also I think like an award-winning award, <laughs> award light, lighting dude um, in general. Oh yeah, um, pro gaffer. They oh. basically they basically set everything up that was meant for the second location for the Sears point raceway. The stage had been built custom for that spot. They moved mm-hmm. it over and re- kind of repurposed it for this new location. It was not suitable. You can really all. tell when you watch, you can really <laughs> fucking tell that it's not it's like, su- like that everything is just kind of yeah. like, and we'll just put this here. This and we'll put this here close enough. Like, it just feels very like slapped yeah. together. Yeah, because the old venue had like the hill, right? That like yeah. this four foot stage would sit on, and it would be cool because they're still ten feet above like everyone else. Yeah, and so, you can't like you can't get a crowd that can crush up against the stage. Whereas the way they did. Whereas right? Altamont is the inverse of that. It's like a bowl. <laughs> it's a raceway, so they're all into like the stage. crunching the into the crowd. Is like tar- the crowd can basically piss on you if they want. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's 300,000 people. If everyone pissed, it's all just going to yeah. come to you. <laughs> and it does, and it they just can, looks they so can't wild. Get us all if we all pee together. If we all like, pee at once. We can yeah. all say we peed on Mick Jagger. It's fucked. Like, in the, when it shows the footage, it's like, yeah, the the state, they're like basically ahead above the crowd. And like, the, the crowd is just like shoving against everything. There's dogs walking on stage. People are picking up amps from the stage. It's trying to like, people, people are climbing onto the stage. The and like, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's so it's, wild. And then, and then you see even like the, the scaffolding and the people are hanging off them. And like, and then That's like one safe. of the stones or the stones manager has to get up and be like, you guys got to get the fuck off those things. Like, they're not mm-hmm. meant for human weight and then like Butler, yeah. five minutes later they ask him to say something else and he's like i am not gonna keep telling them bad stuff basically he's <laughs> yeah, like yeah, exactly. don't tell don't keep putting me out there to tell these people to behave because like it's put it's like it's making the vibe worse right and exactly. the vibes are already fucked dude that is like <laughs> a reoccurring thing is like the these like the people organizing the organizers and like the stage crew are like trying to get the people to do stuff but it's just like man i don't want to harsh these guys buzz man i don't want to yeah. tell them to get off the stage yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well even like i think about for me like i'm organizing a comedy show right now and uh it'll be december, december everybody watch out for that watch out for that we'll let you know next month but um hell yeah Wes and i are gonna work security 
Yeah, Wes, and you're gonna, they're going to have motorbikes and they're going to have knives. So don't bring a gun to a motorbike knife fight. I will. Okay. I will be fucking. That should be our first piece of merch. Don't bring a gun to a motorbike knife fight. I will be but, ready. Um, but yeah, they like. What, what was my point? Um, Organizing yeah. things this time. So I'm. Mm-hmm. I, I still don't have a venue for December, and that's mm-hmm. two months away. I'm still confirming a venue for this show. And I'm getting like stomach aches from the stress of not having a venue while I'm like having yeah. a table read and like we're working on yeah. sketches and stuff. And imagine. I can't imagine the kind of stress yeah. you must be under when you're putting together a, a free concert for the fucking Rolling Stones right. and like less than 24 hours to go. You still haven't confirmed a venue. Yeah, it's like it's like Wayne's World. It's like Wayne's World Two when they're putting on the show. And it's like people are already on the way. <laughs> yeah, it's totally like and that. And we That's don't great. have a venue. Yeah. I love that reference. Oh my gosh! But they were yeah. they were like hyping this on radio yeah. on the radio so relentlessly. Like it was crazy how much promotion it got. And so mm-hmm. there were always going to be so 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 many people that showed up to this thing, right? Wherever it was. Um, but it ended up that there were one fifth of the toilet facilities required for an event of its size, um, a, fra- a, f- a fraction of the staff. <laughs> I mean, this is for one day. Like it's one. It's not a multi-day thing. No, right. no nobody's still- really intended to stay overnight, except for people who mm-hmm. are setting up and people who are taking down. And I think it's obviously implied that maybe a few people would stay on after. Yeah. But the idea wasn't initially that the Rolling Stones were going to play after sunset that was just like the rolling stones oh. own thing of like yeah you know we gotta be a little late for our set yeah we're, we're the princes of darkness like of course the, the stars right. come out at night right like mm. the bands play during the day and the stars come out at night kind of thing right, so right, they, right, right. they ended up waiting until the sun went down but it was all kind of supposed to be wrapped up by like the <clears throat> mid-evening and everyone gets gets back home or whatever um but needless to say over three hundred thousand people showed up and it was fucking insane. And it was so much more in terms of like the sheer scale of attendance. And there was no food. And there were no, mm-hmm. like, th- the only vendors were just like people who brought shit. And they're like, yeah, yeah, there's going to be a bunch of people. So I'm going to sell them some shit. But there were no like authorized vendors or any sort of like infrastructure to support people eating or like surviving <laughs> beyond. Well, right the like very very bare bones infrastructure and yet you can see people passing around like massive jugs of wine well that was one thing that was and absolutely like, prolific yeah. <laughs> it was extra strong wine that laced with god knows what <laughs> much of much of it was yeah. laced with really laced crazy with acid that was super speeded like out and uh-huh. much of that was supplied actually by the hell's angels themselves well and that explains uh-huh. a lot not only the fucked vibes but like how many people you see in that documentary just like having a bad trip like there is like oh, it's uh, literally uh, like you, you, yeah. it's like you know when you look at a person you're like that is a person on acid having a <laughs> yeah. bad trip working there it, are working like out. five yeah. like five or six individual shots of different <laughs> hippies like borderline convulsing like freaking out on bad acid <laughs> I'm thinking of one shot in the movie where it's just, and this is after like during the stone set, like three fights have already broken out, and she's just, she's just in the front row, like sobbing, like trying yeah, to enjoy the concert. Crying. Yeah. Or they're like the one, the naked girl that just like is like punching her way to this. She's like this bigger naked girl, and she's just like completely naked, long black hair, just absolutely like 
like not not fists, but like swinging her arms through the crowd, <laughs> like making her killing. way. And you can see as soon as she gets to the front of the stage, the Hell's Angels are like, no, nope, and they just pick her up and take her off. It was yeah. just it's just like the crowd was just so unbelievably like Mick Jagger got punched in the face the second he got off the, the helicopter. The helicopter. Like by, that was that was how angry the crowd already was. By some dude who was <laughs> like, I hate you, I want to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> like ran up to him and it's punched like, okay. him. Oh it's, boy. It's gonna be a good show, good energy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? Is like, oh, I don't know, just all signs. So um there was a lady overheard um kind of as people were were piling in to to the site um who was kind of just musing that um you know woodstock had consulted astrology charts before booking their dates Mm -hmm. but that altamont and i mean the setting the setting of woodstock even though they had to re um like relocate uh, like twice or whatever it was it was a farmer's field it was like this picturesque like catskills like lush rolling hills with grass grass. and even though it turned into a muddy mess and like it was whatever like this the setting was was still pretty dope Mm -hmm. right even for like their third crack at it this one was like nobody wants to go to altamont pass Mm -hmm. on purpose (laughs) like you you drive you drive through there to get to the nice places around it kind of place Mm -hmm. and uh, so anyways this lady said <laughs> well it's so, so it's a it's a racetrack or whatever it's, like yeah. Ultima well, it's actually way. it's actually where demolition derbies were held oh, oh that's sick, so dude it's best. not not even an actual <laughs> racetrack but where people brought their wrecks to like get, sick, give dude. their last gasps and, yeah. and crash into other vehicles probably so, get shrapnel in my foot from walking around barefoot yeah, exactly <laughs> just like broken like people are hitting each other with car mufflers and shit exactly. that they find on the road I was so wondering the whole- where the hell's angels were getting all those lead pipes from. <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> One of the things I like, I used to go to the work tour in Calgary and they had it at the Thunderhead or Thunderbird Raceway. And yeah. I remember that the worst part was every year there was so much dirt and dust around the stage that by the end of the day, you'd have a cloud of dirt where the Mount Mosh pit was. And you'd walk out of the mosh pit yeah. at the main stage and you'd have a ring Caked. of dirt around your fucking lips. Yeah. From like the moisture. From just like the moisture and everything. And I just uh-huh. remember feeling that and being like, this is fucking. And I, I went and bought like a $5 bottle of water to like clean my face off because it was so. Dis- and I just think like, no wonder these people were so like angry and frustrated and freaking out. And like this, like everything about this venue is just like, yeah, and then add in like the fact that you're in you're in Mercury and in, in retrograde or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. So just like fucking your yeah. shit up like spiritually. No wonder this, <laughs> this vibes were so off. That's this lady's quote is that um, <laughs> you know, Woodstock had consulted astrology charts before booking their dates, but Altamont clearly hadn't, as the moon was in Scorpio currently, and there was oh, a very high likelihood damn. of violence. Can't, the, you, can't, you can't be having a concert when the moon's in Scorpio. <laughs> it was the last date she would have picked, but maybe the Stones knew something that she didn't. The last yeah, date. The, the very last date. Yeah. They, they know that they got to pick a bad sign. That's so the So Santana takes the stage first. Um, and Santana, Santana is pretty badass, very young. Like he is a very young musician at this stage. Mm. But um, 
and you know plays well but there was already a lot of violence there's already so much going on <laughs> and a lot of people who were taking like in the first wave of people who had kind of taken drugs or were getting kind of lit at the festival um the, a bunch of bad trips started and a bunch of people started reacting and a bunch of the hell's angels started reacting to the people who were on bad trips and yeah and did we i mean actually, some of them themselves were probably tripping pretty badly as yeah. well no doubt yeah. and did we no actually doubt. talk about like the hell's angels were the only security at this yeah. the security that right. this event so yeah. and and their so their job was defined as to protect the stage to keep people back from the stage, to protect the equipment around the stage, including the generators, et cetera, but mainly the stage. That was their area. Mm -hmm. um, there were, <clears throat> there were like a handful, maybe a half a dozen of plain clothes uh, police officers that were in the oh. crowd. And around the time, not quite as early as the Santana set, but maybe like the Flying Burrito Brothers set, they had quick, and things were really starting to pop <laughs> off and they started realizing like, oh shit, like, <laughs> This is not a good scene, but also we're outnumbered by these hell's angels. Yeah. <laughs> and like, what are we, what yeah. are we, what are we going to we like practically like, do here? Like, congratulations, we, we, we you probably, have 10 yeah. overpaid snitches in right. the crowd. Uh, Basically, they can observe and report. That's so, what they can do. <laughs> so they decided, totally, they decided they're like, we're, we decided we we're going to hang low and like not, not let on the fact that uh, we were cops and like, you know, uh, take some of that at that wine with the lace with the bad acid, just freak out. <laughs> just vibe. Yeah, just I didn't vibe, even know. Because you I know didn't... the cops are getting off on the bad vibes too. I didn't um, think there were any cops there because I thought that was one of the reasons that they got the Hell's Angels. Because, like you yeah, mentioned, Mick like, Jagger didn't yeah, want cops because he had bad experiences. Right, like when the band had had the those those bad experiences leading up to this, where like yeah, they had run-ins with cops and for and, drug related and things. And so, of course, they turned to like the 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 next the next worst thing to cops basically right. <laughs> to yeah. take care of security well it sounded like a good idea but the other thing like i can't remember if i saw this in the documentary and one of the like other things that i read was that they paid the they didn't even like formally pay the hell's angels but i think oh, the no. agreement was five hundred dollars in beer not that even was... five hundred dollars it was fifty dollars <laughs> in <the> beer no <laughs> no way <laughs> I don't know. No, maybe like per person, no, maybe. Maybe I'm misquoting. That, that $50 was per Hells Angels, maybe. $50 worth of beer went a long way in 1969. Yeah, well, like, again, like <laughs> right. even $500 worth of beer, in, I adjusted it for inflation. It's basically four grand worth of beer. Like right. it's a, that it was it's a lot of beer. Oh, okay. Even wow, if yeah. it's like and if it's the cheap stuff, which is a, you can see a lot of those Hells Angels are holding beer cans. Like even oh, yeah. when Sonny Barger starts like arguing with Jefferson Airplane. He's holding oh, a yeah. fucking can of beer. Oh, yeah. They're totally time. getting swished like yeah. this whole time. So your security. Well, I'm sure they have their own like, shit too, right? Oh, like, yeah. You know? They're lacing the wine. Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, the Hells Angels are getting plastered. And so that's a great. That's great for your security to like so, really, yeah. really get turned up. <laughs> Even all things remaining equal, just that like setup yeah. is already is already spelling like trouble, right? Totally. And, and even because they're not getting a real wage, so they can easily just like be like fuck it man i'm not even getting paid for this shit yeah like, fucking yeah and so and and this is the thing right Liz, like i don't really have any love lost for the hell's angels or whatever but they are kind of a known quantity in this whole thing yeah. right like you know what to expect out of the fucking hell's angels they are gonna crack skulls they're gonna be shitty 
and they'll but they also will like back up the agreement that they've come in with and like they'll do their job well they were put in a really bad position their job was was pretty untenable yeah yeah. Mm. like you can't just look at that and go like oh the hell's angels like like you just were being being brutal right because like you can even see like Sonny Barger tell his guys to back off a lot of the time in that footage. Like he's, he's telling his angels to chill when they're like beating somebody up or whatever. He's like, stop now. Like that's like, and again, like, it's just like, stop, like that's they've, Jefferson got, Airplane. they've got a stage where everybody's like crushing into the stage. And then like, literally it's like hard to move away from the stage and everyone is like trying to get to the front anyway. Yeah. So yeah, it's that's just what, like such a exactly, shitty job to do. And that's exactly what they're there for is for that circumstance um but that that takes place um i mean sunny barger rolls in uh just before the rolling stones come on um and this is after the sunset but before that um jefferson airplane are playing and as you guys have alluded to um the the singer calls out one of the angels for beating up some dude in the crowd ends up getting going up to him uh this animal guy who's wearing like this this pelt hat this like weird coyote pelt hat um kind of yeah. like fucking the q shaman or whatever yeah. <laughs> q shaman's dad it's totally his fucking dad <laughs> and so he goes up to this hell's angel and he um and he's like leave this fucking dude alone stop beating people up this is fucking dumb and this animal guy's like no nah, man he's like you don't talk to me that way you're not gonna like what happens and he just says fuck you and so um, he's like, seriously, I would take that back. Like, just, just stay out of it. And he t- tells him again, he says, fuck you. And as soon as he says, fuck you to him the second time, he cold cocks him, yeah. knock, knocks him out. out and he gets dragged onto the stage eventually, or ba- backstage into a, a first yeah. aid area where eventually he comes to with the same guy, the same animal hell's angel dude there. And he's like, sorry, man, I had to fucking take you out. Like, you can't talk to me yeah. that way. And the first thing he says to him again is, fuck you. you and he gets fucking knocked cold again <laughs> see that's so, the thing like you know <laughs> if you watch that footage you can see a point where fucking marty balin throws his tambourine into the crowd and like, right it was like everybody was mad everybody was on edge everybody was like mad at more than one person it was like very like i, I keep saying how fucked the vibes were but they are like it oozes out of the footage onto you how mm-hmm. uncomfortable everyone is and how mad everyone is. Yeah. Big time. Oh yeah. And and you know, Jerry Garcia and the Grateful Dead are not um are not ignorant to what's unfolding in this um in their well, if anyone oozes. can read a vibe, it's the Grateful Dead. <laughs> uh-huh. Totally. So the, basically, you know, arguably the the band that was the most responsible for the idea and for the like actualization of this festival because they were yeah. the ones that had the most connections through drugs right sure. right, oh, right for right. sure yeah and the whole um you know the whole golden gate park like legacy concerts and stuff they were like yeah what could go wrong you know they're good they've never had we've never had any trouble with them guarding our guarding our generators yeah exactly but they see what's happened and see that um that marty balin's been knocked out twice (laughs) that people are getting their asses kicked in the crowd and it's just a mess (laughs) on stage (laughs) and and they're like we can't go we're not gonna play (laughs) we're not playing no 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 so they're they're coming up with rationalizations so to justify not playing their set 
right? And they're well, kind of they like, didn't. well, you know, they we left. don't want to cause. No, they didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and... even in the video, it's like they, like like uh, what's Jerry Garcia, very young, still hair completely black. Mm-hmm. It's like like they're talking to a drummer from Santana. He's like, yeah, I've already dated that knock. He's like, oh really? Like that's not good at all. It's <laughs> that's that's, what he says. that's <laughs> bad. Something like that. He's very. It's very like. He's like. Right we call it. Yeah, like knocked out. Like took one too many whippets. <laughs> <laughs> no man. <laughs> no Jerry. Oh shit! Oh. So. Um, yeah, so the, um, Jefferson Airplane are done. They're like truncated, very dissatisfying set for everyone involved. Damn it. <laughs> they live up to their Woodstock set. Yeah. <laughs> the, gra- the Grateful Dead have flaked at this stage, and there's a Grateful Dead-shaped gap in the programming <laughs> leading up to the Rolling Stones set, right? But mm. the, sun, the sun is still up. It's still mm. setting. It hasn't quite set. Mm. So the, there's like an hour to an hour and a half before the Rolling Stones actually end up taking the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, the overdoses and bad trips are continuing to come in waves. <laughs> They're mounting. <laughs> through through the late afternoon into the evening. And, um, and at this stage, Sonny Barger and like the top brass of the Oakland Hells Angels who are back doing like their agm or whatever yeah. um they show up they on their decorating bikes the clubhouse jeez <laughs> more tinsel. swastikas and sunny more tinsel over this way <laughs> sunny save some bunting for the main corridor <laughs> bunting. this is how i would imagine that would unfold uh, so it was just like the, the fucking like decoration stores like the hell's angels are coming in for their bunting today do not look them in the eye do not ask them any questions if they're or and if you fuck up their order, you are taking responsibility for it. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I know. I know who they are. I, I brought mimosas. They'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so th- this new like squad of Hell's Angels rolls up with like these top, um, these top officials from the organization, and they all roll up on their bikes through the crowd, like literally through the crowd, like get the uh-huh. fuck out of the way. And they park their bikes in like this perimeter around the stage, like around 40, 40 feet out or whatever in the middle of hundreds of thousands of people, yeah. but, but around the stage thinking, thinking that it would be some sort of physical barrier. barrier. Yeah. But really what it was, was just another thing to get pissed off about and kick people's asses about because just like, hun- oh, hundreds yeah. of thousands of minute. people, your beloved motorcycles that you put oh, your yeah. life oh, in. Well, well, Hell's Angels guys love it when people touch right? their bikes, I think. <laughs> it's like it's like touch a dog. It they love it when people touch it and pet it, I think. Yeah, like it's Am just I wrong? Like, like either it was like a really dumb oversight because like I guess because they were new coming in and they hadn't been there all day, but it's like so you park them in front of the stage where people can't help but like fall into and you can see points in the crowd where an angel is like trying to like pull his motorbike out from under people who right. just fucking fell on it and it's just like or you did do that on purpose so you could kick more asses because now you were like you got like someone came back a row or whatever came Full back license. to the club and was like this fucking hippies right. are on our bikes man like sonny you gotta get down there and crack some heads bro like like maybe it was on purpose right i don't know it's just like it, you can just see like the the bike's getting stomped on and you're just like this, i could i could have seen this coming yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, according yeah. to according to barger he understood that that was where they were supposed to park and whether or not it was a good idea or like a tactical um 
ben of of tactical benefit to put right, the yeah. bikes there as some sort of barrier. Like the reality is that people fucked with them. People intentionally and unintentionally like messed with their bikes. Yeah. And that was obviously a trigger for the Hells Angels who see it as part of their like identities and whatever. And so it just gave them more license to kick everyone's ass. And so naturally, as the stones actually take the stage after the sun is set, um, violence basically like reaches a new peak. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just complete, completely <laughs> chaotic. But again, this is all within like several meters of the stage that it's all unfolding and everybody i mean there's hundreds of thousands of people so this sprawling crowd across the like hillside is not all necessarily exposed to all of this yeah. now they're not all necessarily exposed to a really good <clears throat> festival or anything either because the sound system wasn't amazing the lighting the lighting right. was fine but it was also insufficient because it had been set up in 20 hours something that could probably have used like a few days to do there was a crane that was supposed to come up and set up a big lighting boom or a, a big lighting uh structure scaffold to to like round off the lighting setup that never arrived so there was a bunch of lighting that just wasn't getting used people were just like basically piling onto these boxes and breaking all this equipment it was just kind of panning out the opposite way that it would from somebody it who really was does like just look amateurish and like a bunch of people in a big like with like a shitty stage that someone threw together like you can really tell it's just like not nothing is like nothing is like even compared to and that's why i think they put that other footage in was to show yeah. like what the stones were used to and what the crowds were used to versus like what they fucking got on the day yeah mm -hmm. yeah for sure so the band stopped and started several times attempting to cool down the situation with a little success you hear that you see that in in the film Mick Jagger um, you know, said those cats about a hundred times yeah these cats Come don't on. cool it man we're gonna stop playing <laughs> that i think that was keith but yes right, yeah. uh, they're, they're both kind of imploring you know um mick is definitely more on like the whiny side like come on babies there's so many of you can't we just be cool babies be cool <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like come on dude get your shit together but I think the, I mean, I, the main thing I want to say before this section, um, is that, yeah, I mean, I guess the Rolling Stones probably had to follow through with this, Yeah. but, and the Grateful Dead clearly didn't have to follow through with it or else they would have, I, I think, but they definitely didn't. So to whatever degree they could get away with not doing it, they fucking definitely embraced whatever that was, <laughs> did not. but the Stones at Ace. least, at least followed through and played the show right yeah. and um even if they would have left after a few songs they took the stage like arguably i don't know i i like i am intimidated by the prospect of going up on stage in a situation like that yeah. and I, i'm not oh, an no, artist no. i don't have anything like that That's... would be insane and insane. You, know, you are the center of attention got punched up. exactly but, but by right. hell's angel exactly so like are you more <laughs> your are you security more, details are you yeah. more intimidated by the throngs of of audience members looped out on god knows what doing whatever or the crazy like rogue security apparatus that's like <laughs> destroying everything around it or you know what i mean like mm, I, I just like think a metaphor for something <laughs> for for like um a relatively like effet like delicate international rock superstar lead singer dude 
I think it was kind of ballsy to just be like, we're going to do this. Like, you know, it's probably just like sniffing your own farts a little bit and buying into your own bullshit, but he's just like, yeah, we can do this or whatever. Like we're, we're going to do this kind of thing. And and this really exposes like just how much of their sort of like, um, like the bad boys posture was like a posture in a certain sense, right? Like you can hear the, and I don't mean that in a, like how these guys are fucking posers way, but just like, you can hear the fear in their voices and you can see like they've clearly seen some shit because they've done world tours but like they have not ever seen this, this at a concert. they're very disarmed and it's like again when you see that kind of violence happen in real life versus like in a movie which is where most of us experience it or like at least in a lot on a large scale like you see just how many people are kind of just like don't know how to react and there you get you get frozen in that kind of violence happens. absolutely absolutely yeah, it's staggering. And, you know, psychologically, um, I feel like it had an impact on the band. I feel like it had an impact on mm-hmm. Mick and oh, Keith yeah. and, on their di- <laughs> and on their dynamic. Yeah. And I mean, I wouldn't attribute it necessarily. Like, I feel like there's obviously there was a pathology that existed previously for Keith in particular in terms of substance abuse, but he definitely didn't improve as a result of Mm -hmm. what happened that day. I think it was almost like you can mark it to the day that he started spiraling a bit as an individual with, you know, grappling with some of his demons that he continued to grapple with for decades after that. Right. Yeah, man. But they, their partnership as like songwriters and the dynamic in the band from that point took a different it um it took a different flavor from that point on um yeah. it's really, really interesting inflection that, point i think for them i bet just for jefferson airplane changed the most after that day <laughs> oh big time they oh. fucking changed their whole band yeah. name they were jefferson starship after that <laughs> <laughs> marty Balin just wakes up after the second time he's like guys we're changing the name of the band like what, yeah. what are you talking about we're not an airplane anymore airplanes are passe now <laughs> we got to put that whole era behind us (laughs) so um so yeah and then in the middle of uh not sympathy for the devil but under my thumb the band stops playing again as there's a like significant kerfuffle and this is the moment when meredith hunter is murdered by the Hells Angels in the crowd. Allegedly, he had, so he had come with his girlfriend, um, a white, um, a white girl named Patty, and a couple of friends. It's from, cool though. It's it's the sixties, so everything was cool. yeah. cool. everything was racism was fixed by this point. Martin yeah, Luther yeah. King had already done stuff, right? Totally. Yep. In the <laughs> and bag. <it> was only... <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> um, but he had they they had as a as a mixed race couple they had been catching. Gl- glares and glances from the hell's angels all day certainly um their friends had left um meredith went back to the vehicle and was pretty high on uh, methamphetamines which she used kind of casually recreationally but you know it was it was deemed a modest amount i think in the um in the coroner's report and Patty may or may not have been on any of that, but was probably having a decent time in terms of whatever substances she was on. But she didn't she didn't really want to stay. She was trying to get him to leave or at least like, let's hang back a little bit. He was like, no, I want to like check it out. I want to be like close. I want to be in the thick of it kind of thing. And he wasn't a particularly big 
Stones fan or anything like that, but he liked the vibe, you know, he liked being a part of the energy. Interesting. Wasn't there kind of a narrative that saying that he was like threatening to kill Mick Jagger well, or he well, had the, threatened to kill Mick Jagger or like maybe joking. Or and something? This is the thing. So mm-hmm. having seen, I think um, a scuffle where, where somebody got dragged off of the top of a speaker or on top of the top of a van or something, he was like, Holy shit. Like, this is kind of crazy. I should maybe take some precautions. So he went back to his vehicle and grabbed a gun and he stashed it in his, in his green, uh, suit coat and he went he back is like people should look at look up what he was wearing because it is very distinct, distinctive yeah and sure, it is sure. very like eye grabbing and you people would have noticed it like he had yeah. even a big fucking hat on yeah like yeah and and you know part of that combination of him being one of probably very few black individuals let alone black young men at that well, concert there were some because you can see them in the footage and for sure they sort of cut it to, I can't tell if it's real or not. It might very well be. They sort of cut it to make it look like these, these, these two black men standing together are sort of reacting and like, kind of like, like being like, what the fuck to, to the, what the hell's angels are doing. And kind mm-hmm. of in a way that sort of, even if they couldn't say what their sort of racial animus that was going on in the film, like it's sort of like, like giving, giving the audience a taste of that, and sort of priming that pump a little bit. It was really interesting. Oh, for sure. Well, needless to say, he was definitely, or I guess black people were in the minority. Yeah. In, in that 300,000 person um, audience. And so combined with his, uh, with his green suit, once he did kind of clash with the Hells Angels, after returning back to get nearer to the stage with his gun in his coat. Um, it was really easy for them to like track him through the crowd. And so they basically he, he climbed up to get a better view. He climbed up on like a, on like a, an equipment box or something got dragged down by one of the hell's angels kind of fed him this death glare of like, what the fuck man. And then kind of turned around and just kind of jetted, tried to dart away. And, and leave um he was in he was pursued by at least two hell's angels and then three or four more joined in and the one that ended up ultimately stabbing him like five or six times killing him alan Pissarro, was one of those individuals um but after they got a hold of him they just basically pummeled him to death yeah. and he was dead within minutes like even if he had it, it was reported that even if he had been stabbed in like the waiting room of the emergency room he would have had a pretty low chance of surviving with the injuries that he had. Um, but most of that was the stabbing. And then obviously there was a ton of blunt trauma. It was just disgusting. The hell's angels were basically just like, we're going to fucking end this person yeah. for huh. allegedly having pulled the gun. Now it's alleged that the timing of when he pulled the gun was really what's in dispute. Um, mm-hmm. The hell's angels and Sonny Barger obviously parrots this line in his biography of him coming up to the stage and pulling the gun and aiming at it um, at Mick Jagger, right? Yeah. So like he's going to kill the the star or whatever. But other um, other tellings, other other kind of uh, recollections reflect that he didn't pull the gun until he had already been 
kind of scuffling with the, with the Hells Angels a bit. Mm-hmm. And he would just kind of like pulled it out and, and held it up in the air just to kind of like get this, get these fucking maniacs to back off, to think yeah. twice kind of thing. And, that's and sort of also like, that it wasn't even a loaded gun. So there were no shots mm, to, to fire. Really? Oh. Yeah. Well, and it's, okay. In the documentary, like Wes, did you watch that part? Did you watch the whole thing? Yeah. Cause they do like pause it in a frame where his, his hand is silhouetted against like his girlfriend's dress. Yeah. And, and like there he's is got, like, something a, in his hand. Like, looks like it could have been something. a silenced PP seven or something from gold. Yeah, it's really hard to tell. Like it's basically just a silhouette and like, it could be a gun. It could be that whatever. And clearly mm-hmm. like, and uh, it, it seems like it is like, it does seem that he had a gun on him. Like that has mm-hmm. been kind of more or less confirmed, but like, yeah, it's it's definitely like there's no way he was like pointing it at people because like they were filming that concert the entire time. Right. Uh, yeah. And so that that story, the story that he was kind of this crazed gunman that was hunting Mick Jagger on stage was convenient for the Hells Angels who kicked the yeah. shit out of him and ended mm-hmm. his life mm-hmm. as a result. Um, but it doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, it's not consistently reported that that was actually the case. Right. Um, it was also so after after this unfolds he's dead they or he's not dead but he's dying he's within moments of dying he needs he needs medical attention that is not available at this place right he's a medevac he does and the only (laughs) helicopter unfortunately is the rolling stones helicopter and Mm. and jefferson airplane are currently using the helicopter to get the fuck out of get the fuck out of, get the fuck out of Fucking Jesus Christ, Jerry Garcia. Come on. So the the violence after this happens, obviously they get the band to stop. Um, people are trying to get um, Mick to make an announcement to get medical help to come up to the stage. They're holding up their like blood red hands to show Mick Jagger that something intense has happened yeah. and that he needs to like use his announcing skills on the stage <laughs> with the mic to get you rock the mic, person man. some help um but it's all it's all kind of by the by they continue playing um i don't know if they kind of jump right back into it but according to sunny barger and this is not something that's reported in other sources that i found but he goes up on stage pulls a gun himself uh, on the sly points it at keith richards and says you keep on playing or else and <laughs> at that they're like okay then one two three and like into the next yeah, okay. number and they continue to play the second half of their set and close off the gig and kind of wrap up the evening from there um so that's something that's disputed it's not necessarily agreed upon mm. in other um recounting of what happened Thank but it's know. in sunny barger's biography um, but oh. it's also a pretty convenient, like ego fluff for him to be like, <laughs> yeah. one, of the Hell's Angel? One, of, one of the rock gods of the yeah. era. And I was like using him like a, Mary, turned him into like a, a marionette, <laughs> yeah, yeah. marionette puppet. Right. Um, but yeah, so that was basically how it all unfolded. I mean, it was a big mess to unravel after that. They had trouble getting volunteers to come back and clean up everything. Um, a man died 
uh, <laughs> a man was murdered. Like it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. When you, you look know? at the video too of the way he's like lunging at it, it's like there's no way that that Hell's Angel had any intention of anything. Oh, that guy comes like the dude. one that with the knife that. Yeah. Like, and again, like it's he's hard to like, say. Comes flying at him he's with a haymaker like, stab, and he's got his arm way up in the yeah. high, and he's like, like exactly. Ah! It's like yeah. the biggest flying stab I've yeah. ever seen. <laughs> it's like yeah. a kung fu movie. It's yeah. brutal. It is the, like, it, yeah, we, it like good, good movie, hard to watch. Like, oh, hard for to sure. Watch yeah. yeah. Well, but the so the violence did subside after, um, after Meredith's death, after that incident, basically. Yeah, kind of harshes the vibe a bit. Yeah, Just a little. I feel like people weren't really as lit after well, the that. The vibes were good before that. Yeah. It was the murder. Exactly. That really the really. It's like a sea change. <laughs> just like imagine, like, like afterwards, someone just being like, "Well, there's no way we're getting good vibes now." <laughs> right. So yeah. I think I think my kind of concluding like statement on on the whole thing. Um, obviously there's other stuff that we can go into or whatever, but you know, Meredith's and he went by Murdoch, which is kind of like a cool street name. Yeah. That, it's a little cooler than Meredith. Yeah. yeah that yeah. he kind of embraced, even though he wasn't a really big like street dude. Um, like he wasn't a thug. He got into some trouble. He had a bit of a sketchy like upbringing and past. Um, but he was a nice like person. He wasn't like, a troublemaker he, he didn't have like violent tendencies he wasn't mm-hmm. he didn't have a reputation of being like a badass or like doing particularly egregious shit um but the family that he came from his mother uh was uh, had um, had a mental illness and basically mm. he him and his sister grew up with um with a mother that had this this condition and they would escape kind of the chaotic home life by diving into school or diving into the scene, like their local scene um, and art in arts and music and like kind of trying to escape a little bit from it. Um, and some of the structure that they were missing at home, um, he did find in places like school. Right. Um, and then when he did get in trouble and go to juvie <clears throat> or, or whatever, like he, he almost kind of embraced that. Like it was kind of like the same idea of, you know, if you're, if you don't have a home, like going to prison is actually kind of a good option because you're like, well, at least I get, well, I know, I know where my next meal is coming from. Right, exactly. But he was very mm. much like a good-natured individual who was just kind of making his way through, like a pretty rough upbringing, where he didn't ever really get a chance to have a normal like American youths like upbringing um an american youth experience um his family had moved from texas from like the south and as a black family coming from the south like they saw california as being somewhere that they could have a better life for future generations of the family mm-hmm. and um his mother's condition like kind of hampered a lot of a lot of what could have come of, of that and a lot of the partners that she had in her life were did not have her or her family's best interests in mind yeah. they were you know they were the type of people that would be taking advantage of her or looking to potentially take advantage of her sister um if they had a chance so it wasn't really an ideal like circumstance for him but that is a very typical 
experience for a lot of black Americans, yeah. you know, at, at that time in particular, where things were just kind of starting to, for some, for a lucky few, for a fortunate few, things were just starting to turn a corner, mm -hmm. um, depending on where you were and who you were and who you happened to be able to associate with, well, you know, you to be able to more visible. Because exactly. of, because of civil rights and because of desegregation, like now you had to you had to go into white spaces in, in some cases if you wanted to do that stuff. So you couldn't. There was less like 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 segregation. Obviously, bad. I'm not like I'm not. This is not a pro segregation. Like fuck, <laughs> shut the fuck up, Joe. Uh, Thank you for like, clarifying. But like, yeah, um, like there is like a certain there was like a certain. Um, a, a certain amount of, of obviously like limited safety where like, you know, there were separate, like when we talked about like Sister Rosetta Tharp, like there were black venues, there were venues that black people could go to and like, they weren't safe. They were still subject to like white terror and all that stuff. But like now you're talking about black people going into these majority white spaces full of, you know, people who probably did like vote in that poll that said like 62% of people disapproved of Martin Luther King and shit like that. Like, and, and I guess like counterculture is obviously going to be a bit different, but like he was in a space where he was hyper visible as a black man. He, and he had lit a literal white supremacist gang watching his ass. Who, who had claimed all, authority over the space. And who had yeah, claimed already looking, right. like had That's already the, been stymied from like beating the shit out of Marty Balin or any of these other fucking white hippies that had the, had this sort of like privilege to be able to say like, fuck you and only get knocked out and not get stabbed. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's ultimately what it was, right. Is, you know, coming from the Bay area where there was a lot of integration, there was a lot of delivery on the promise to um, Meredith's family of, of coming from Texas to California and having a taste of what, you know, everyone understood was the American dream that was previously kind of largely reserved for white Americans. They were able to deliver on some of that uh, just by coming to California. Mm -hmm. But once you left the Bay Area, which is a little bit of a more cosmopolitan, progressive, liberal kind of bubble, and go out into the sticks a little bit, into the Altamont Pass, yeah, out into the edge of fucking buttfuck nowhere, then rural California, the the like the you know not exactly. And so it's part of his not not his, but the general naivety about what really is America. And in this case, you know the the Hell's Angels let him know what their America was. Right. Yeah. And ultimately, that's what it was. It was a black man in a space where he was beholden to the white authority there. And if they didn't want him to go home from that festival, then he wasn't going home from that festival. And that's kind of the bottom line. Right. Um, nobody from the festival, uh, the dead or the stones reached out to to Meredith's family. Um, Chipmunk. The lighting engineer who uh, helped set up the whole thing eventually got a hold of Alpha Hunter, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, Meredith's mom, and he he went over. He reached out to her several times, but he went calling at her house and got turned away at the door. Um, one time he actually got welcomed in and served some tea, but then she ended up throwing 
the tea on him after he explained <laughs> what he was there to talk to her about. Hmm. Uh, he then went back again after that and she didn't throw tea at him, but he sat down and he said, listen, like, I know nobody's reached out to you to talk to you about this, but I wanted to extend my profound apologies and like regret for what happened to your son on behalf of everybody who didn't reach out to you, <laughs> which I'm not sure why you would take that on. But and she's uh, like, and who, who the fuck are you? You said exactly. your name's Chipmunk? Exactly. I've got a guy named Chipmunk apologizing to me. So the big rock stars, yeah, the big rock stars sent Mr. Chipmunk to come say sorry. Okay, got it. But basically, she was just like, "All right, well, great, my son's dead, so thanks for coming by." And he's like, "Yeah, you know, I guess fair enough. (laughs) I don't know what else there is to say." And I mean, it was very noble. And I mean, he comes out, he comes across in retrospect, looking the best of everyone who is just kind of too far mm-hmm. up their own asses to even care about right. what they had kind of wrought but yeah. still it's still kind of like a yeah you know, it's a bit of a sure. gesture right thinking back to the kurosawa uh f- narratives k- patchwork making a story yeah you know some of the some of the other kind of videos i watched about this there are some divergent stories about uh the situation in like being able to transfer him to the hospital and the availability yeah. of helicopters. Cause right. one story said that the helicopter, the stones helicopter was there, but it wasn't a, a crip to transfer like a, a yeah. patient, like in prone position or something like that. And the other one was that, Oh, it co- totally could have taken someone in prone position, but uh-huh. it's the stones copter. It's the stones copter. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. need that. And they I, were probably like, don't let him go anywhere. Cause we want to get the fuck out of here. After. Yeah. Cause that's the, totally. that's the end of the film. The last part of the Altamont is them all getting into their fucking helicopter, like literally sitting on each other's laps. Right. Because there's, oh. Yeah. Like, oh, right. <laughs> but remember, so remember in the interview though, it's, it looks like they, airlift the like his dead body away it makes it seem like they're airlifting his dead body away but no, no. Uh, no. there's like confirmed cases like no they his body was just like backstage for four well, hours while we had to drive it away is i think i'm pretty sure there's been a case where the mazels kind of admitted it was a bad idea to that, make it seem like they well, did that well i think that part of the condition of them being able to film the stones' reaction was that the stones had a say over the cup. Mm, and yeah. that's what they said. They, they said it was a mistake to let them in the editing room. At Don't all. make us look like monsters. Mm. And like, clearly they obviously knew that they, because like, you can see, they just want to like, as much as like, clearly like, um, what's his name? Like the drummer Watts, like he clearly has the most like sympathetic and honest reaction. Yeah. Like I think Jagger, so. it's just like, he's just like, but, he doesn't say and anything. He just, like, leaves. Really? And he's just yeah. like, he just wants to forget about it. Well, he he's just like, where's the gun happened. again? What's the frame yeah. with the gun? All right. Roll that like, back. Was the gun really pointed at me? Yeah. <laughs> you want to roll that back? <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah it's but, just like his moment or whatever, but it's just like, it's clear. You can see, like, that's like what's so messed about the 60s and like all this like counterculture. Like, we're, he's even saying in the early, like, it's like a community. Like, we're a community. We're going to do a little arts and crafts and like, it's gonna be uh-huh. loving, and then as soon as like somebody's dead, he's just like, "Yeah, it's terrible." All right, you guys. No, but I think I honestly think it. I, I think it hit pretty deep yeah, for some of those sure. people, like in ways that they only they will know, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this type of thing doesn't just wash over you, right? I, I mean, hopefully it doesn't. So, right? is, yeah, is this the is this the day that's referred to as the day the music died? 
Yes. Yeah. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah. So this is some, so the Grateful Dead wrote a song about it. Um, that it's in it's in american pie okay because i wasn't sure because there's another referred to as the day the music died people also say that maybe this is just like people getting stories because i've also heard the day the music died was the day that like buddy holly's plane and, crashed yeah well that's all well, in that the american pie song right like okay. he, he references right. he references are, buddy holly he references the stones like okay he, so these are all different days the music died the music well, died different days is that the idea I don't think kind I ever of. understood it's, the song. It's the concept of a day where the music dies. Oh, like okay. a, tra- a tragic day in music. Ah, in so it's like a metaphor. So there's been plenty of days where the music died. Exactly. And, and the song references all of them. Different it's scenes true. too, right? Like Buddy okay. Holly was that early 50s rock. Um, yeah. But it's sort of, yeah, it's that's a whole okay. other thing. But yeah, you could, you could argue that like the verse about like, um, as I saw him on the stage, my hands were clenched, hands were clenched in fits of rage. No angel born mm. in hell could break that Satan's spell. And mm. it's like, okay, there is like a bit of a reference there, not just to Mick Jagger sort of being this corruption of the pure, innocent spirit of like earlier rock and roll, but also like the fact that they kind of semi-referenced the Hell's Angels is like kind of referencing Altamont in a way. Big and, time. Yeah. Okay. So, oh yeah. All right, Bob well, Dylan. And that's, Bob and that's <laughs> wait, who wrote that song? <laughs> Uh, uh, Don McLean. John McLean. Yeah. Okay. I don't Don, think I knew that. John, yeah. The guy from Die Hard wrote, wrote American <laughs> Pie. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why I liked it. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's really, it's not ironic, but it is kind of ironic because the Stones and particularly Mick Jagger very much flirted with that whole yeah like devil's son kind of vibe like the dark the dark hat wearing the dark hat um mm-hmm. and then like fostered that nurtured that side of rock of rock and roll of like the bad side the like mm-hmm. unwholesome and like the whole mysterious occult kind of aspect without getting too like explicit or like weird like the way it would get later where yeah. people dove into but even it like but flirted flirted with it actively in like the imagery and in the like the whole shtick the whole aesthetic and then this all unfolds and really like i mean woodstock is reported to have come been able to come off as well as it did which you know in by some by some accounts that was kind of a disaster too right um depending on where you were or what was happening or whatever, it didn't necessarily go as well as it was reported or as, as everyone kind of raves about. But for a lot of people, there's like the shared consciousness of like, yes, it was a milestone. Uh-huh. And there was a communal, what, what was lacking in the preparation, what was lacking in the execution, what was lacking in the, you know, the um, infrastructure and everything on the day <clears throat> was made up for by this communal, like will, this shared, will of like making this happen and like come on man don't be harsh like don't yeah. harsh or mellow like let's all make this cool with the like together right like don't right. don't harsh don't harsh the vibes and and it and it came across right like it, it it happened and it went kind of down in history as as what it was and then you know this international rock star kind of helicopter not kind of literally helicopters in <laughs> yeah. and it's like let's do that here too with 
the hundreds of thousands of people that an international rock star brings into a scene like that, along with, you know, a lot of this countercultural, countercultural local kind of hate Ashbury vibe, which even by that stage was kind of going a little bit sour too. Like in some cases, the peace, love and drugs thing was a lot more about drugs and like people were getting a yeah. little too heavy into <clears throat> it and like at the dark side of addiction and of, you know, of, of drug dependency and like kind of, you know, these are kind of skid row like elements that were, that were abundant in Altamont and mix that in with like the local scene and like whoever who might be music fans but then also these people are just like oh my god i have to be near mick jagger i have to be whatever and just this kind of fervor that is instilled in people when they're this close to a, a famous person that they would know in other circumstances have you know have no chance of seeing in person and this fever pitch that kind of, you know, it just kind of changes the dynamic. And yeah. it was just like a different element entirely. It wasn't, it wasn't the same kind of, uh, it wasn't composed of the same types of elements. As it's like what stuff, we talked right? about mm -hmm. in the previous episode with Dillinger 4 and then not wanting to do things like Warp Tour because they wouldn't go see it. And it's like, again, like we talked about how Green Day doesn't have that choice, even as punk rockers. And this is like, mm -hmm. yeah, like, like, <clears throat> you're taking you're trying yeah. to manufacture woodstock in a right. way like whereas woodstock exactly. was like and film it and mm -hmm. not that would yeah and film it and sort of make it this thing for you right as opposed to like a shared experience and again not that it was totally like it could have gone fine you know it could have if they had gotten an earlier venue we probably wouldn't even be talking about it. it'd probably be like yeah they had a fucking concert the other tour it was kind of cool but it was kind of it wasn't certainly no woodstock right like yeah. and it's like to use the phrase, like we talked about how, like, you know, like in part of the reason Green Day, people were so pissed off at Green Day was like, they shittied it up. They brought all the <laughs> shitty right. elements back into the scene that had fought so long and hard for yeah. this, this culture. This Absolutely subculture. parallels. Yeah. And it's uh -huh. like, a, there's, and it's not exactly the same, but it's also like, there's a real parallel in a way of like, like you said, like a literal, like English rock star who's already spent his entire career, like, ripping off black people and like ripping off like this culture that comes from a, a continent he's barely even been to and isn't even allowed to go to he makes this triumphant return and what does he do he ends up like getting people killed and basically like being the reason the 60s the spirit of the 60s died or whatever right but, like, <laughs> right yeah it's just like you can't yeah. you can't force those things in that way and like obviously they didn't intend it to go as bad as it did but um yeah that's what happens but, when you shitty it up yeah boy yeah. did it go bad <laughs> yeah boy did he shitty it up <laughs> yeah put a little planning into your you know hundred thousand person attendee festival yeah, Mick Jagger, you should have <laughs> planned it yourself you yeah. hear me <laughs> well that's the also that's another interesting thing and maybe um the last thing that i have to say about Mick Jagger in particular but he from then on not not like directly like on that day or whatever but from that point on in his career he increasingly became more and more of a micromanager more and more of a this is specifically like mm -hmm. i have my trusted people that handle these different components of the tour and these are the only people that do it because they do it the way i want it and this is the way that i want it and this is how it happens now mm -hmm. and that was it 
from then on, not exactly from then on, but thereabouts. Right. And you can see, you can kind of see why. And that's but, how the hell's angels became <laughs> <laughs> permanent security detail. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, they tried to kill him or like yeah. allegedly or whatever. Like they, they like, I didn't look into that, but I definitely am aware of that being a thing. Yeah. So apparently they plotted to murder him and they were like, they found out he had a house on this Island and oh, he wow. tried to get a boat out there. But the day they did it, the weather was so bad that they had to abort and turn back. Yeah. I think oh my God. that's my sort of thing from this is like, this is a lot of like boys trying to be men in a way. There's a lot of like, uh, like, like, you know, like this is what happens when you like, you try to be the big, tough, rugged man and like boss everybody around and be the badass who like, worships satan and does all these nasty things like this is what happens in a way it's like right from everyone through to like jerry garcia even like meredith hunter to a certain extent he was clearly like fronting a little bit right he was trying to be tough and be like i can handle this no no i'm not going home like and not that in any way that means he's at fault for getting murdered no 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 but he's it's, like, I, he's like, I deserve to be here. I have a right to be here just yeah. like anyone else. Why, why shouldn't I be there? And you know, he's right. But then he's also like in that specific circumstance that takes a, an amount of like, I don't know, like you're, sure. you're going to yeah, like, throw down in this, in this lot. Like, uh, sure. If this is the place where you want to prove that you have the right to be here, yeah, you know, and, like even braver than I am, that's for sure. Even the hell's angels. It's like, they're all of a sudden they use this to get a lot of publicity actually like oh big this, time the, and not only that but then sonny barger's clearly like telling tales out of school like making oh, up yeah. his own version of events that's then, his like, element easily yeah. disprovable or yeah, whatever like sure. somewhat disprovable and it's like he doesn't come across looking like as much of a tough badass as more of like just a, a shitty boat than yeah anything, exactly right? and that's kind of what it comes down to across the board for a lot of it is like this was a big ego trip for a lot of different people and it blew up for sure and didn't go well for a lot of people for others i mean if you weren't in that like core like stage area or whatever or only just happened to pass through occasionally it probably wasn't all that terrible it was probably just like wow what a shitty fucking festival yeah. like they really didn't figure their sound out and god knows what was happening up by the stage but whatever we'll walk two hours back to our car and drive back into town and that was that um and kind of that was it but for all the power brokers for all the people who had power in that situation they were trying to throw it around they were trying to yeah. flex and you know it panned out to a certain degree we got a film out of it got whatever etc reputations got burnished but ultimately it was just a powerful person's game and, yeah. and, and and somebody who arguably had less power than most ended up getting fucking sucked into it and spat out the other end without without his life which is pretty pathetic i think well, and luckily it's the only time it's ever happened in history yeah for sure but it's yeah. it's pathetic that this is what these like this is rock and roll you know, that's yeah. the, for me, that's the opposite of rock and roll, but in reality, what is rock and roll? <laughs> right. Yeah. I and mean, it's like this it's fucking a- kind of cheesy fucking thing that, yeah, the music's great. And like, it's there's good nostalgia and like 
the creative aspect. Yeah, that's awesome expression. I love it. But the whole idea of rock and roll is already so like tainted and dumb that I don't know. I, I when somebody's like, yeah, man, rock and roll, man. You're <laughs> just like, roll. that sounds right. dumb. You, yeah, you said, take your leather pants off. We you sound dumb. You you sound done. So <laughs> you mean like basically you'll do anything for money? Is that what yeah. you mean when you say rock and roll? Because that's roll. what I'm hearing. <laughs> rock and roll, baby. I think like, yeah, and I'm not to keep tying it back to the last episode, but um the other parallel is like what they were talking about with the double-edged meaning of their album title is like, yeah, it's like one hand, it's like us sort of like playing this balancing act of being goofy and 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 weird and funny but also kind of putting a point across when we can. And like, you know, maybe just like using that sort of like weird humor, awkwardness or the funniness of like four old fat guys, like taking off their clothes on stage and like licking each other's dicks or whatever. Like, but then like, it's like, yeah, someone might be like, Oh, that's so cool. They're so random. And then listen to like, you know, like minimum wage is a gateway drug and like start to think about the drug war and minimum wage and all that stuff. And, and that's, and, and it's sort of like, but there's the other side of like, you know, he's like, who are the bands that are making money off punk rock? Well, they're guys with perfectly coiffed hair who have managers singing about their girlfriends when they're 35, you know, like shit like that. And like dating 16 year olds. It's like, it's kind of both. It, there is that like, honest, like, you know, like, mm-hmm. like when the Rolling Stones start playing that, like some of their riffs, it's like, it's just a, it's a gut feeling. It feels good. Like some of those songs are mm-hmm. fucking those riffs are just like legendary and they're so simple. It's just like, you can't believe this, this guy fucking wrote them. But at the same time, he's also like a fucking top with a drug addiction. who Fucked over his bandmates and ruined most of his relationships in order to be famous. Right. But it's like like, at the same time, I feel like, yeah, Rolling Stones now are so much the embodiment of, of like the rock band and rock and roll. It's like, it's hard. It's, it's like, for me, like rock and roll, like that is rock and roll. Everything I ever thought yeah, of rock and roll is the Rolling Stones. Yeah, like yeah. they the created the that. Bad. Yeah. No, so it's, it's like, it's I can't even separate them from, from that whole idea. Yeah. Yeah. And but, I think this, you know, this event, this, um, this occasion was part of what kind of informed what rock and roll would become. Yeah. Or, or, or is right the excess the the disregard for you know norms or standards or whatever and just like let's let's do it because there's something in it for us or whatever anything from this will be really badass to this will be like this will make us a shitload of money and somewhere in between but that is what rock and roll ultimately is is like you can't resist this and i am the one that I am the purveyor of this thing that you can't resist. And ultimately Mm -hmm. like I'm the one who gets what I want out of this situation before, before anyone else does. Right. I mean, that's a good point. Cause I'm, I'm, I wonder if anyone suffered consequences for like the travesty that this event was. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the person who actually murdered the man got off because Uh of the, because of the, of the film, actually, it was the footage. It was the footage of the gun. Huh? and around the footage of the stabbing that mm-hmm. let alan Pissarro off in court <laughs> because Self-defense. because then he was like self-defense he was going to shoot me yeah. he was going to shoot fucking mick jagger right, uh, right, we right. can't we can't just have rock stars getting shot around here 
Come on, judge. I appeal to your certainly. Yeah. I appeal to the color of your skin. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That too. I mean, yeah, it's interesting. Like, like in a way, the only person who suffered consequences was Meredith Hunter. The only yeah. person who ever, and, and his family, unfortunately, like For daring. And his loved yeah. ones and his, and his, his girlfriend or whatever. Like, and again, obviously like, you know, like every, a lot of people had trauma from that event, but like, man, like they still had their millions of dollars in their, in their, their island homes that the angels couldn't even murder them in to go to. Right. It's, it's very different. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if the, that at the time, if once it was revealed, like what, uh really happened at at altamont and like what if that helped push them into the stratosphere or if it was like kind of like lost them some fans like i I mean they were already so big yeah i wouldn't doubt that it lost them any fans but and and it kind of fit into their like embracing the dark side of rock vibe anyways i wouldn't i mean as many fans as it lost them they definitely probably gained that back yeah, like and like because no five-fold. one did. Like unless you watch the documentary, which came out, like you know, in the months and years after, like you probably had no idea that this happened. Well, it was widely reported at the time. Like they were definitely the the death of Meredith Hunter. Yeah, but I didn't think it was until a, like a thing. I didn't think but, until months later when like Rolling Stone did kind of an in-depth look at it. Yeah, that it was actually revealed what. A, debacle it was well it was more just like somebody got killed like that was sort of like the immediate response like we still don't have all the details blah 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 and again like we always say this but we're having the hindsight of going back and excavating all these things and finding and building a narrative or whatever which is but at the time it's like it feels very chaotic and even to people who were probably there it just felt like what just happened you know in a lot of ways and it was like you can see that like Mm -hmm. the stones and the filmmakers have clearly had more time to process it because they've been going over this footage but they were in it too and they had to sort of like piece it together after and like it's the Mm -hmm. same with like the stones like they're clearly like piecing it together as they're watching this footage and it's like jesus fucking christ like i you know like like it, it hits you again after and that's worse in a way, because it's, it's not the immediate, it's the recalling of all that stuff. And like the sort of re-recognition of really what happened. It's like really, you know, terrible. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Yeah. So I have a, terrible. I have a parting, this is, and this is from the base of the Wikipedia article about like pop culture references to yeah. Altamont, but this one completely tickled me. Um, so the incident is mentioned in the 1996 film, The Cable Guy, in a scene where Jim Carrey's character, Chip Douglas, performs Somebody to Love on karaoke. You might recognize this song as performed by Jefferson Airplane in a little rockumentary called Gimme Shelter about the Rolling Stones and their nightmare at Altamont. That night, the Oakland chapter of the Hells Angels had their way. Tonight, it's my turn. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and then in the film, he dives into his rendition of somebody to love, which is amazing. If you've seen that film, I have, I definitely remember the rendition. (laughs) Didn't remember the preamble, but now I definitely want to go back and watch that. That's a, that's a, my friends and I were obsessed with that movie forever. It's really good. It's really funny. Underrated black comic gem. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. 
Um, That's great. And yeah. kind of appropriate, a, a very appropriate, like weird, creepy reference for that <laughs> character to make. Like not Absolutely. referencing, like you know, their their Stones' best day, but yeah. their yeah. worst day. Yeah. Tonight, it's my but turn. At the same time, was sort of like oh an object God. of fascination. <laughs> very, very, very fun vibes. Yeah, love it. That's yeah. great. Yeah, well, thanks for coming along on that journey, that journey oh, yes. uh, up to the Altamont Pass. The this cold winds blow through. <laughs> the cold winds blow through Livermore, California, and we yeah. all go our separate ways. Um, yeah, thanks, thanks, something? Craig. It was a great episode. Really that's fascinating sure. subject. Yeah, it was a blast. It gave me an excuse to watch a Maisel's movie, which I always appreciate. Um, there you go. Yeah, Wes. Final thoughts? Um, I mean, I'd still probably see the Stones. <laughs> <laughs> just go there with a sign like holding Let's it up like i show. know what you did at altamont <laughs> you yeah. they probably wouldn't even let you in <laughs> that would be funny but yeah it was uh yeah yeah i hadn't i remember you guys referencing this and i was just like altamont i don't know what that is and i'm happy that you took me on this ride because yeah this was a very interesting and dark day for rock and roll that uh now i will understand the references from the cable guy yeah <laughs> most importantly we made done. us want to rewatch yeah. the cable guy yeah so everybody go watch the cable guy that was really what this is all about. <laughs> it was all part of craig's plan craig just pulls off his mask he's the director of the cable guy he's like yes yes my renaissance has come <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're, we'll have all the sources that Craig used in the in the notes, so check that out. And uh, thank you again for listening to Second Bananas. Uh, you can email us uh, secondbananaspod at gmail.com if you have ideas for episodes, etc. Uh, we're at two the number two bananas pod on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, yeah, watch out for another episode. We are now coming out monthly. So a little bit slower, but we can really put time and care into episodes. And we'll see you in a month for another episode of Second Bananas. Bye. Yeah. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.